chapter seven of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven genesis of the charter l and n w railway opened to birmingham overland route to india a bold smuggler bull baiting visitors to the queen the boy jones probably nearly all my readers have heard of the chartists but it is equally probable that few know when the agitation commenced and the reason for its existence the charter as it was called was the radical outcome of the reform bill of eighteen thirty two for a time after the passing of that bill the land had peace for all reasonable reforms had been granted but the demagogues were not going to be quietly annihilated and an agitation for more trenchant reform was got up and a mass meeting in its favour was held at birmingham on the sixth of august and at it were inaugurated the principles of the people's charter as it was called it is currently reported that this charter was drawn up by william lovett a carpenter and cabinet-maker who took an active part in getting rid of the stamp tax upon newspapers and it is very likely that it was so for he drew up most of the petitions and addresses for the movement and in connection with it he the following year suffered twelve months imprisonment he died august eighteen seventy seven the demands of this charter were six and they were familiarly known as the six points they were universal suffrage vote by ballot annual parliaments payment of the members abolition of the property qualification equal electoral districts the meeting was got up by t atwood esq m p and the site chosen for it was a large vacant piece of ground at birmingham on the northwest side of the town and there drinking booths galore were erected the morning began very wet and the different divisions from the neighboring country marched bemired and bedraggled to the rendezvous there they soon filled the drinking booths in which they abode hence probably the very diverse statements as to the numbers present at the meeting which vary from ten thousand to two hundred thousand the ground chosen was a natural amphitheatre and if the weather had been finer it would have been a pretty sight enlivened by the bright manners of the different trade societies however mr atwood read the petition which embodied the above six points and moved its adoption fergus o'connor a well-known firebrand seconded it in a violent speech in which occurred the following balderdash on with your green standard rearing go flesh every sword to the hilt on our side is virtue and erin on yours is the parson and guilt of course the motion was enthusiastically carried and then a very heavy shower of rain terminated the proceedings the petition was afterwards presented to parliament by mr atwood on the fourteenth of june eighteen thirty nine on seventeenth september the london and north western railway then called the london and birmingham railway was opened throughout to birmingham the first train containing directors and their friends leaving euston at seven fifteen a m the times of this train are useful for comparing with the present time the train left euston at fifteen minutes past seven but did not take on locomotive until twenty minutes past it arrived at tring station at twenty-five minutes past eight where there was five minutes delay 
arrived at wolverton at six minutes past nine where the directors alighted and changed engines the train arrived at rugby at eleven o'clock where the duke of sussex and his suite alighted and proceeded by carriage to the place of his destination the directors remained at rugby ten minutes and arrived at birmingham three minutes past twelve having performed the whole journey including stoppages in four hours forty eight minutes and exclusive of stoppages in four hours fourteen minutes this is unquestionably the shortest time in which the journey from london to birmingham has ever been performed being upwards of two hours less than the time occupied by marshal soult and attendants a few weeks ago the fare for one person from london to birmingham or back by the four inside carriages by day or the first class six inside by night will be one pound twelve shillings sixpence by the second-class carriages open by day which is the cheapest it will be one pound the intermediate fares will be one pound ten shillings and one pound five shillings it is not generally known that the two lodges at the entrance of euston station were the original ticket offices and waiting-room people were beginning to wake from the torpor in which they had hitherto slumbered with regard to locomotion and on twelfth october an influential meeting of merchants and others was held at the jerusalem coffee-house to hear a captain barber unfold his scheme for a quicker communication with india this was that passengers and goods should be taken by steam to cairo and thence by omnibuses and vans to suez as was afterwards done by waghorn who was already forming an overland mail see times twenty nine november eighteen thirty eight with the very heavy duties on foreign goods of course smuggling was very rife and the inland revenue was defrauded on every possible occasion by the sharp wits opposed to it and the difficulty of conviction unless the smuggler was caught red-handed was very considerable the following is a case in point and for sheer impudence it bears the palm seventeen october mansion house a scotchwoman named frances bodmore the wife of a frenchman who has been engaged in smuggling appeared to answer for her husband on a charge of having two two-gallon bottles of french brandy in his possession without having paid the duty thereon child the constable said he went into the house of the frenchman in sugarloaf court and while searching for other things found the bottles under the pillows of the bed the lord mayor why don't your husband attend woman why because he knows nothing at all about the business i think he'd be a great fool to come here without knowing for what the lord mayor how do you get your living woman why as well as i can i don't get it without running some risk for it you may depend the lord mayor we know you to be a consummate smuggler woman whatever my business may be i generally get through it like a trump there is no nonsense about me the lord mayor to the revenue officer she is constantly backward and forward between this and france i dare say woman yes my lord i travel a good deal for the benefit of my health and i always come back stouter than i go laughter officer she's perfectly well known my lord as one of a number that are commissioned by parties in london they are very clever and elude us in every possible way and the steamers afford them great facilities the lord mayor i can't send this woman to prison and she knows it well but i shall punish every experienced smuggler i catch as severely as i can 
they cheat the fair trader they endanger the vessel in which they come over and they cheat the government woman ay my lord that's the cleverest thing of all only think of cheating the government well well i wonder where the villainy of man will end laughter the lord mayor take care of yourself you think you are secure you may go now woman good morning my lord although you are so kind i hope i shall never have the pleasure of seeing your face again the lord mayor was informed that great quantities of lace were brought over by women some had been found stitched up in the skins of wild fowl and there was scarcely an article dead or alive that was not suspected of being a depository of contraband goods it was but a short time ago that a wretched-looking object was discovered to be the carrier of a large stock of lace he had an old bedstead which in his trips to boulogne he used to take with him at last somebody on board expressed his surprise why a rickety piece of furniture which looked as if it was the tenement of living animals should be so frequent a passenger upon close examination it was found that the several pieces of the bedstead had been hollowed and stuffed with lace the cruel old english sport of bull-baiting was still continued at stamford in lincolnshire where it is said to have existed since the year twelve o nine in the reign of king john the story goes that in that year william earl warren lord of the town standing on the walls of his castle saw two bulls fighting for a cow in the castle meadow till all the butcher's dogs pursued one of the bulls maddened by the noise and multitude clean through the town this sight so pleased the earl that he gave the castle meadow where the bull's duel began for a common to the butchers of the town after the first grass was mown on condition that they should find a mad bull the day six weeks before christmas day for the continuation of that sport for ever but the time had come for putting an end to this barbarous practice and it was this year put down by direct interference of the secretary of state at stamford and elsewhere it was believed that this bull-baiting was legal being established by custom but the society for the prevention of cruelty to animals with a view of setting the question at rest by the decision of the court of queen's bench caused an indictment to be preferred against several of the ringleaders the indictment was tried at lincoln before mr justice park and the special jury when several of them were found guilty and upon their being brought up for judgment in the court of queen's bench the court unanimously declared the practice to be illegal the chief justice in particular said it was supposed there was some matter of law at first there was a supposed old charter for the future it must be considered as an illegal practice in consequence of this decision a troop of the fourteenth dragoons together with twelve metropolitan policemen were sent into the town of stamford placards apprising the public of the illegality of the bull-baiting were posted in the town and neighbourhood and the threatened and attempted repetition of this barbarous scene was prevented without any loss of life or serious injury the bullards as they were called mustered in strong numbers they had provided two fierce bulls to be hunted and tormented but the bulls were seized and pounded by the police and although the ruffian mob remained in considerable numbers no serious breach of the peace took place but they were determined not to be altogether balked of their sport for a bull-calf enclosed in a cart and followed by its lowing mother entered the town and was immediately seized on as a substitute for a bull 
it was taken out and hunted through the town for some time until rescued by the police every lunatic seems to have wanted to say something to the young queen and visitors to buckingham palace were very frequent although the object of their wishes was never attained to show the nuisance involved by these fools let me give one paragraph of the times nineteen december visitors to her majesty on saturday night about nine o'clock a very respectably dressed young man rang the bell at the tradesman's entrance of the new palace and upon being asked the nature of his business he said he had come for the direction of his house as he was tired and wished to go home upon being asked to explain himself he said he had just come from sydney and had been desired to call at the palace by the queen who told him he should have a house to live in and a hundred and fifty pounds a year for some very important spiritual communication he had made to her the young man whose every action showed he was a lunatic was then told the queen was not in town when he turned away observing that he would go immediately to lord hill and lay his case before him visits of the preceding kind are very frequent at the palace and the tales told by the visitants are of the very strangest nature it is only a few weeks since an elderly man having the appearance of a farmer called at the palace and handing to the porter the certificate of his birth requested him to let her majesty sign it from inquiries made concerning this man it was discovered that he was a respectable farmer in the neighbourhood of exeter from which distant place he had wandered on so strange an errand but of all visitors to the royal palace the boy jones was the most frequent and successful who in this generation knows anything about the boy jones yet his escapades were very daring and his story is very true but so strange is it that in order to be believed i must at least in part give the chapter and verse for it the times fifteen december queen squares yesterday a lad about fifteen years of age who gave his name as edward cotton whose dress was that of a sweep but who was stated to be the son of a respectable tradesman in hertfordshire was charged with being found in the marble hall of buckingham palace under circumstances of an extraordinary nature it should be stated that buckingham palace even during the absence of the queen is guarded by the gentlemen porters of the establishment two inspectors of the a division of police and sentries from the foot guards in spite of this a number of cases have lately occurred at this office where persons have been found in the interior of the palace under unaccountable circumstances george cox one of the porters having been sworn said that at five o'clock yesterday morning he saw the prisoner in the marble hall the latter endeavoured to make his escape into the lobby but he pursued him and he then took a contrary direction across the lawn at the back of the palace witness called for the sentry at the gate and a policeman of the b division who was on duty in james street caught the lad after a long chase over the lawn mr cox added that he found in the lobby a regimental sword a quantity of linen and other articles all of which had been purloined from the palace the sword was the property of the hon augustus murray a gentleman attached to the queen's establishment witness went into that gentleman's bedroom and the bedding was covered with soot the prisoner had evidently endeavoured to get up the chimney in order to effect his escape there was a valuable likeness of her majesty in the marble hall which was broken and covered with soot 
and it was supposed that the lad in the first instance had descended from the top of the building and had endeavoured to make his way back again in the same manner james stone thirty one b deposed that he was called upon by the last witness to secure the prisoner there were marks of soot in several of the bedchambers as well as in one of the corridors of the palace and the grand or marble hall he found upon him two letters one addressed to her majesty and the other to the honourable mr murray these letters had been placed underneath her majesty's portrait and had no doubt been taken by the prisoner at the time the picture was destroyed part of the scabbard of the sword was discovered in one of the beds and a quantity of bear's grease part of which he had placed upon his flesh was taken from him it belonged to one of the servants of the palace upon being taken to the station-house he said he came from hertfordshire and that his father was a respectable man mr white the sitting magistrate observed that it was a most extraordinary thing that persons could get into the palace under such circumstances several persons belonging to the palace said that every inquiry had been made but it could not be accounted for mr white to the prisoner where do you come from prisoner i came from hertfordshire twelve months ago and i met with a man in a fustian jacket who asked me to go with him to buckingham house i went and have been there ever since i got my victuals in the kitchen and i thought myself very well off because i came to london to better myself mr white well you could not go to a higher place prisoner i declare it to be the case and i live very well to be sure i was obliged to wash my shirt now and then mr white you fared then altogether pretty well prisoner very well indeed sir and i was always placed where the queen had a meeting with the ministers behind a piece of furniture in the room but i certainly did live well mr white indeed and which was your favourite apartment prisoner the room in front of the gardens but i was always in the secret when the ministers came mr white do you mean to tell me that you have lived in the palace upwards of eleven months and been concealed when her majesty held a council prisoner i do mr white were you hid behind a chair prisoner no but the tables and other furniture concealed me mr white then you could hear all her majesty said prisoner oh yes and her ministers too the prisoner's answers to the questions of the magistrate were given in the most shrewd manner possible and he evidently appeared to be a lad of some education but nothing further could be elicited from him mr white said it was a most singular affair and that it should be strictly inquired into for the present he should remand the prisoner until wednesday next the magistrate also told cox that as he should be sitting there every day he should be glad to receive any information upon the subject the letters found upon the prisoner were directed to be sent to the palace under seal of the office the prisoner having broken them open the case excited great interest and in the first instance was sent to bow street but sir frederick rowe being out of town it was ordered to be heard at this office the times twenty december yesterday the lad found in buckingham palace who had given his name as edward cotton and described himself as the son of a respectable tradesman living in the town of hartford was brought before messrs white and gregory for final examination it will be recollected that he had purloined amongst other articles two letters which were immediately sealed up and sent back to the palace 
the prisoner turns out to be the son of an industrious tailor named jones residing in york street westminster and it appears had frequently expressed his intention to enter the palace under any circumstances he had often stated that he wished to see the grand staircase in order to take a sketch of it and had often expressed his determination to see the queen and to hear her sentiments when her majesty and her ministers were assembled in council frederick bloom now deposed that he was valet to the honourable mr murray and that a sword a quantity of linen and other articles had been stolen from that gentleman's apartment in the palace mr white when were they stolen witness i can't recollect mr white was it a week a month or three or four months ago witness i cannot say mr white where was your master's sword at the time you saw it last witness when i went to windsor mr white when was that witness i cannot exactly recollect and then he added that about a week since he had sent from windsor to the palace a portmanteau containing his linen and three pairs of trousers four of stockings and three cravats were missing the padlock of the portmanteau had been forced by the sword having been applied to it the sword had broken in the attempt he had also lost five tin sous pieces which had been found upon the prisoner mr white what is the value of the articles you have lost witness i don't know but i should like to give three guineas to get them back mr white can you swear to the french coin found upon the prisoner as being yours the witness was then shown the coin and he said that he certainly could they had been taken from his bedroom mr white can any information be given as to the manner in which the prisoner gained access to the palace cox one of the porters to the palace said that the principal entrance door was always locked and the key in his possession at five o'clock on saturday morning just as he was about to get out of bed the prisoner opened the door of his room as witness considered to obtain the key his face and hands were disguised with soot and bear's grease and he was asked whether he came to sweep a chimney he did not make any answer but endeavoured to escape inspector steed a division said that upon examining the gates of the principal entrance of the palace he found that at the marble arch there was a vacuum sufficient to admit a boy into the palace without any inconvenience mr white and is there no sentry at this gate witness there are two the inspector said that he had examined the boy's boots and the gravel upon them corresponded with that lately laid down close to the marble arch the boots had been taken off by the prisoner and left in one of the apartments appropriated to the use of the porters of the palace mr griffiths builder coventry street said that the lad had been in his employment for a few months he had always expressed his intention to get into the interior of the palace by some means or other he was a clever lad and had made a sketch of the exterior and a view of the enclosure fronting the palace he had left his service two days since and witness was very much distressed as were his parents to know what had become of him upon reading the accounts in the newspapers he immediately went to tothill fields and identified him much to the gratification of his father who supposed that he had drowned himself the latter having on account of his son's bad conduct turned him out of doors the magistrate after telling the boy that he would most likely be committed for trial asked him what he should say in his defence prisoner i wished to see the palace and i went in with a man in a fustian jacket 
i had the whole range of the palace for a day or two but the money found upon me i picked up in one of the rooms mr white tell me the truth for i am about to send you for trial prisoner oh very well with all my heart he was fully committed to the westminster sessions and all parties bound over to prosecute he was tried on twenty eighth december and was most ably defended by his counsel mr pendergast who turned everything to ridicule and the jury returned a verdict of not guilty regarding the escapade in the light of a youthful folly and being also mindful of the fact that the boy did not enter the palace for the purpose of theft but we shall hear of the boy jones again End of chapter seven